Hey everybody, welcome back to Point Break Minute, where we point out the moments and break down the minutes of Point Break one minute at a time. I'm Marin Kennedy. And I'm Jessa Lowe. And I am Niall McGowan from Bat Minutes 89. Bat Minute 89! Excellent. Indeed. Welcome thank back. For, yeah, thank you for coming back, Niall. Good to have you. Oh, I'm incredibly happy to be here. I'm happy to do these minutes, but I am slightly uh, jealous of whoever gets... Because uh, I quote Point Break nearly weekly. <laughs> and it's like, uh, the line I always quote, and uh, you know, someone's... Oh, I'm so jealous whoever gets it, is... Um, the Anthony Keat is that weird, uh, that would be a waste of time. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm, like... I'm really looking forward to doing that scene with War Child, <laughs> Anthony Kiedis. Yeah, that's that's mm. great. I think this is a testament to this film, too, that it can have a character called War Child, and you can still take him seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but, uh, yeah, that's like literally every time anyone does anything wasteful, that's just like in my head instantly. And I've quoted it to people, and no one gets what it is until you say point break and then it's like oh of course yeah yeah but uh, of all those chili pepper albums the greatest thing at nikita's ever contributed to my life personally was that delivery of that it's line. a good delivery it's a very good delivery i also just realized <laughs> uh speaking of lines in the movie that aren't in this minute uh i, I rewatched hot fuzz again because i want to sort of make that tie in at some point uh with uh with the guys over there um at cornetto minute uh but they quote at the end of that movie. They quote, "The little hand says it's time to rock and roll," and uh, I had mm. forgotten that was in Hot Fuzz. So that's a that's another little quote yeah. there. That's pretty. I good. was uh, I was just on with those guys the oh, other nice. day doing uh, doing. We got the put in for the Shaun of the Dead minutes where um, when they throw the Batman soundtrack, oh. and we got oh, we got that that minute. It's like oh yep, typical. But oh, that's that's actually like one of the most iconic minutes of the whole film. So it's like yeah, I guess we looked out there. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah, those movies have so many references to different things that you know you can tie it into almost anything. Yeah. <laughs> All right, minute fifteen. All right, so minute fifteen continues with Busey's line: "It's either you or me out there on the board. You get my drift." And then Keanu saying, Angelo, this is for little rubber people who don't know how to shave yet. Um, not quite sure what little rubber people are, but I'm assuming mm. people who are so smooth that hair doesn't yeah. grow from them. He might be referring to uh, to the kid they just talked to. Or himself with his perfect rubbery skin. <laughs> yeah. He does look, yeah, we've ta- discussed his shininess before. And smoothness at great length. He's very smooth and shiny. Yeah. And then um, Angelo continues with, come on, you're a quarterback, Jock. It's all balance, right? And coordination. How hard could it be? And then (laughs) cues the fail montage. I I love the way he says, how hard can it be? He puts his (laughs) arm up sort of gesturing like, this is easy. That's another line I feel like would be in the comedy trailer, if this was a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. You can can see that this this is almost like how you can tell this movie is the 90s and not the 80s. Because like when it cuts then to the failed montage, like you could, if it was if this was like five years earlier, there would have been like you know a, like a Devo song or something would come in like a funny little yeah like you've got to put one foot in front of the other or something like that you know, to show you to go into full on montage. Whereas like Catherine Bigelow has like the maybe just dial dial that back a little. Yeah. She's a little more restrained <laughs> yeah, in her it, montages. Yeah, it's like it's a funny it's a funny cut, but it's not. It doesn't have its foot all the way in uh, slapstick. 
expectations. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of like almost like a ride delivery of it rather than this like, hey, this it's wacky time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's... yeah. This wacky adventure. Um, so yeah, it's so, so close though. Like this film, judging by the last two minutes, like this could be a comedy. Like if they want to do, yeah. they could just go like just tweak it a little bit, and all of a sudden you got a crazy comedy. <laughs> well, and that's what I love about Catherine Bigelow. I think we talked about this in a previous minute, debating whether this movie is comedy or drama. And definitely now it would be seen more as a comedy, given the time. But I do think she adds like a nice little bit of that dramatic edge to an otherwise could be comedy movie. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I think uh, I really wish Catherine Bigelow would go back to stuff like this because I know she got all the the Oscar acclaim from you know Zero Dark Thirty and uh, the Hurt Locker and stuff. But like all the early day stuff, like the the you know Near Dark, which is much more somber and serious. Affair you, you've this, seen, but it's still you've seen Near Dark. Oh, I love Near Dark. Yeah, Near I, Dark's I was trying to get a hold film. of it. I uh, I have a Netflix DVD account. It's not. I have to, I had to hit save. It didn't have it immediately available. So oh, man. I found out. I was like, that, that was no, really it's... interesting. I, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's almost like it's kind of a weird... Uh, you know, you can see there, there's a definite... Um, you know, if you want to go into like auteur theory and things like that, there's a definite, uh, you know, uh, sort of story through line in that, you know, it has um, you know, a character who gets you know, accepted into a nefarious group of criminals mm. and uh, has to adopt to the, kind of forced to adopt to their lifestyles where in this one Skiana becomes a surfer in near dark is that uh, Caleb the character in that has to become a vampire mm-hmm. and um, but there's a you know the, that one's a lot more somber and uh, sort of ethereal and uh, you know really very moody and a lot of it, most of it's set at night very moody in that regard actually it looks very like um, I wonder because you know she was married to James Cameron, the shots at night in Near Dark that look very much like what the nighttime shots in Terminator Two look like. Oh, and I'm wondering if Cameron ended up going like, "Oh, that looked pretty. That looked pretty good. I'm going to swipe that." So, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, and then uh, but the, the, this one is it kind of flips it. So it's like this one's all sun and summer and sea. Yeah, but still the same kind of story basically. Yeah. But speaking of James Cameron, there are a lot of underwater shots in this minute. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thinking of Titanic, sort of stuff he did, and uh, he's very into the underwater exploration now. I sort of associate mm. him with doing those, you know, underwater camera stuff. But it, it looks pretty cool in this, I think. Uh, you know, we have, you know, after the, how hard can it be? Keanu Reeves, you know, he, he's, he actually does pretty well at first. He's paddling out on a wave, and then he he jumps up pretty well but then loses his balance whoa he had a nice whoa and uh and he's he's underwater yeah he's like flailing a bit underwater with his beautiful lisa frank surfboard bobbing sadly (laughs) then he surfaces for air oh no another wave and then he does kind of those like underwater somersaults that you see when people are like oh i can't figure out which way is up and then uh, Murin calls the music tinkly. And so there's this tinkly music um, with loud underwater swirling bubble noises. And then the minute ends with an angel from heaven above entering the screen. I, I almost expected a mermaid to come up and start kissing him like in Hook. I mean, 
pretty much. That's pretty much what happens. Yeah, it's, mm. except from above. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it reminded me of that a lot. Like, now we, we could go to, you know, a whole... This movie could have taken a different turn. Become a mermaid. Could have uh, gone to Atlantis. A mermaid crime server yeah. heist movie. Oh, that would be interesting. Mermaid. mermaid <laughs> you guys... Have you guys been able to verify, though, if this is actually Keanu, you know, in any of these shots? Because, like, he did learn to surf, because apparently he still surfs today. Mm-hmm. Like, he, you know, and, like, it's, would, would they have taken the chance of, like, oh, we're going to have to get him to go out and do this almost drowning scene? Or would it have been, like, no, you don't do that with the talents. You get one of the the pleb uh, <laughs> stunt people to do that. Well, yeah. Doesn't he do most of his own stunts? Maybe later so, on. I, I I do know a little bit about what, what went on in this movie. I know that Patrick Swayze, at least, was very... He wanted to do a lot of his own stunts and do a lot of those things. And uh, it was sort of a constant fight. I, I can imagine Keanu kind of getting getting swept up in that as well. Um, mm, mm. You never really see his face too well in this. So, I, I don't know. I mean, it's better than, like, you know, the stunt work in Face Off. Where it's just, like, every time... You know, the big fight in the boat, the speedboat at the end. And every time it cuts to like a long shot, it just looks like you. Oh, if we cut to a different film with a different fight with two completely different people for some reason, yeah. and it cuts back in, it's like, oh, that's still supposed to be Cage and Travolta. What? That's <laughs> like that's clearly two different men. Yeah. What the hell's going on? That's a very different pair. I can imagine, you know, in, in Face Off, I would love to do Face Off minute. By the way, um, no. <laughs> that would be a trip. But I, Cage and Travolta probably being like, oh, it's the fight. Let's let's sit down. I'm not. Yeah. I, need, I need a rest. <laughs> I need a sandwich. Whereas these guys are probably like, no, let's do it. Let's let's really fight. And like, no, no, guys, you gotta you gotta let the, the stunt people do this part. Well, here's a little interesting yeah. fact I just pulled up. Um that instead of getting actors who could surf, uh Catherine Bigelow actually just cast surfers who could act, um, in the gang of ex presidents. So like Bo Jesse Christopher, who plays Gromit, and John Philbin, who plays Nathaniel, um, were actually pro surfers who just happen to act on the side perfect um so i would be curious about whether um and and also the actors received extensive fight training um it looks like all the actors Catherine bigelow wanted all the actors to do their own fights on screen without stuntmen with the exception of ketis who missed the fight training, so he just gets punched and knocked out, so he doesn't like doesn't have to do any fighting. I, I wonder what he was up to. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, and the surfing scenes were real, but weren't real actors. So the cast members did take surfing lessons to appear in some of the less technically complex surfing shots, but many of the more dangerous shots um, utilize pro surfer stunt doubles, um, especially the fifty-year mm. storm scene. Um, spoiler alert, at the end uh, with Swayze, was doubled by legendary big wave surfer Derek Dorner. So, yeah, there's just a little bit of stuff about that. Mm. That makes me wonder, though, if uh, most of the ex-presidents were ex-surfers, if that's why, like, um, because the most chatty of them is, you know, the uh, James the Gross, like, he gets gets the Nixon, he gets to do the Nixon bit. Is that because, like, well, he's the actor, so he has to play that part because he gets to say more than the rest of them, I guess. But uh, yeah, as I discussed, I think in an earlier minute, the the guy, uh, one I don't remember was Bo Jesse or John Philbin as a uh, as LBJ doesn't really give. He's pretty much just a surfer, even when he has the mask mm-hmm. on. 
I have to say as well, like I am, uh, I'm almost, I'm almost disappointed not to get a, the, the gross minute because I'm a bit of, I've become like a weird James the Gross spotter in my good life. Stuff. Yeah, it's it's more because like my first uh, affiliation with him was like way back and uh, as a teenager, I used to watch Ali McBeal, and uh, he was introduced in in that like when uh, you know spoilers for Ali McBeal <laughs> when Billy Gil Bellows' character, the love interest of the show, dies. Uh, and the, his, the replacement lawyer in the firm is played by James LaGrosse. And the key plays a fairly substantial part. So I was like, oh, this guy must be like a, you know, a well-regarded actor who's like, he's going to go on to do big things. And if he's ever in anything else, he'll have big parts. And I, he keeps popping up in things in little tiny, tiny parts. And it's frustrating because it's like, that's James LaGrosse. Oh, oh, he's gone again. Like, it's just like, why, why is it? Like you, I think you guys mentioned, in, you know, when you were covering the credits. Uh, is part in Zodiac. Yeah. And I remember going to see Zodiac and I saw his name come up in the opening credits. And I was like, oh, it's James Gross. I was like, oh, he must be like one of the cops. And it's like, he shows up for this one scene, I think, of Jake Gyllenhaal mm-hmm. going to get something. And it has a close up of James Gross. And he's like, who's that guy? And someone else says to him, oh, he's going to solve the Zodiac case. And it kind of closes in and grows his face and he goes, oh, good for him. <laughs> and then. He's gone for like uh, up until the very last scene of the movie where he comes in to show someone some photos. I was like, there's James LaGrosse again. And I was like, what? Why, why isn't this guy? And he, and he'll just do things like that. He'll be in like an episode of Friends. He'll have a, a date with Phoebe. It's like, oh, this must be Phoebe's new love interest. I was like, nope. nope. He's in one scene and he's out the door. Yeah. It's like, so I give this guy, you know, the time of, you know, it's like Killian Murphy in a Chris Nolan movie. So it's like, oh, it's Killian Murphy. He's got, he's got to be doing loads of stuff. No, not really. No, yeah. he's, it's interesting. It's I like love you know spotting things like that where like he's never he's not really a name. Like this is you know I didn't really know who he was until I started doing this podcast, and I was like, oh, he's done some big movies. He's he's done a lot of things that you recognize, but always mm. a small part of it. So he's, yeah. he's sort of like I a, think the biggest the biggest part footnote. I've seen him play was Phantasm Two, which is like I think he's like the main guy in that. Uh-huh. But the and then of course um, he's in an excellent movie called uh, Living in Oblivion. This is about um, Steve Buscemi. It was made in the mid '90s. It's about like an indie film crew who gets a big name star to appear in their movie, and um, it's played by James LaGrosse. And apparently, a lot of there's a lot of rumors that it's actually the the, uh, the writer and director based his part because he comes in he's like the big hollywood star and he's a real egotistical asshat uh-huh. where he'll just show up and set up with an eye patch and they'll be like what are you doing with that eye patch he's like I'm, my character wears an eye patch now i've decided that what are you gonna do and he just forced them to put that in the scene and apparently the it's the rumor is that the the writer and director uh based that on working with brad pitt and i was like oh, oh. Yeah. oh but brad. it's uh yeah but it's just like it's about the trials and tribulations of uh making a small indie movie it's got like a really good bit of like they have a David Lynch esque dream sequence with like a like a little dwarf comes in on a top hat and stuff, and his whole business then is just like why do people keep putting dwarves in dream sequences? I'm a dwarf. I don't even dream about dwarves. What the hell's going on? Why do people? Why has this become a thing all of a sudden? <laughs> That's awesome. Why do they talk backwards? But, uh, That's weird. <laughs> but the oh, I spent like since uh, like I got in deep with the, the Twin Peaks: The Return. And since then, it's just been like, what was that? Like, what what, what happened there? What, what people like, really, I, yeah. What is this trope? <laughs> yeah, it's not just like, what's that? What is the show? Like, they, oh, that yeah, ends that in too. such a note of complete surreal madness. That's like, 
I've gone back in to rewatch it, like, with a notebook, like, I'm going to crack this thing. I know I'm not going to, because no one has yet. And no one ever will, because I don't think it's meant to be cracked. But mm. yeah, yeah, I still... Anyway, Point Break was... Uh, I think we were talking about that at some point. <laughs> we were talking about it at some point, yeah. Let's, uh, so <laughs> we pretty much covered the whole minute. Uh, you got Keanu Reeves drowning, and he... he uh, a little bit of tinkly music, and then a face appears in the water above him. Face from heaven above. Face from heaven above. And uh, I'll just go ahead and spoil it. That's Lori Petty. We'll see more of her in the upcoming minutes. But uh, that is, I, I, I think, you know, you see her face. So you probably put her face in the water. Um, yeah, it's such, a, it's such a close-up shot. I'd be surprised if they used a stunt double because she did train to be a surfer in this movie. Although before this movie and before training for this movie, she had never stepped foot in the ocean before in her life. Um, kind of interesting. That is interesting. She's from uh, Tennessee, so I guess it's landlocked. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I guess but, she, um, you know, she was in L.A. before this movie. She was an actor in L.A. before this. So huh. Yeah, but the ocean's scary. Who wants to be... Yeah, that's funny though because I don't I don't imagine Lori Petty being particularly scared of anything most of the time. Like especially the ocean. Like I would imagine her; she's kind of a, a wild child type. So that's interesting. That's, I wouldn't have expected that. Hmm. Um, I should say, like speaking of wild child, because uh, I think like he's he's gone for a couple of scenes now. But I should just throw out some general Busey love. Just oh be yeah. Like, because just yeah, just love Gary. We Busey. had him last like, minute, so yeah, that's. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you had him in this minute, actually, in the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, that little yeah, a little tidbit of him. I should say that I have a signed autographed photo of Gary Busey. So okay. I have to know, how did this come to be? Oh, I, I, I didn't meet him or anything. It was given to me as a birthday present. Oh, my so God. I have no guarantees that that's actually Gary Busey's um, signature on it. But I'm choosing to believe that it is. That uh, is the most perfect birthday present. That's pretty great. Mm. So did this person who gave you this know you to be a big Busey head? Oh, yeah. We were, we, uh, the, the two of us, very much. Well, it was actually, it was a joint present between uh, my co-host, John, on Batman 89 and his girlfriend. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. We're all major, we're all major Busey fans. <laughs> and um, with, uh, the, the one that, it's a fantastic photo, too, because it's Busey- being sexy oh like God. it's him trying to look, it's, it's he's very young in it and he's trying to do like a smoldering sexy look i'll put a picture up of it actually on the on the the point break uh was it the listener's sheriff shop is that what the yes. oh, yeah. Yeah. terrible the name of these these groups because there's so many of them now <laughs> i'm like oh, i don't know which one's which anymore uh, we but, would uh, love to see have that. you guys have you guys ever talked about uh because you know we immense love for Busey, but people seem to forget like he had a he had a tv show i i'm with Busey. have you guys talked about that we yet, did or? we have talked about that we uh, um brad and jar from cosmic Ge- geppetto podcast i believe uh brought oh that yeah because mm. that's where like, i really fell for him hard there like that mm. was, I was at the time particularly uh that was before i had access to a computer i was just watching it when it was on uh in ireland and um i didn't quite realize that it wasn't real so like i was like for a while i was like this is this stuff all actually happened with this guy hanging out with gary Busey. And then it was only then when I looked it up online later, they're like, no, it was fake. Was oh, like, no. really? So it was just Gary Busey, like, pretending to be kind of kooky? I think it, it must have been, like, uh, almost like on a Curb Your Enthusiasm way of, like, 
will set up a will come in like the guy who he was with was that that was a you know I think he was a professional comedian. I think the premise was like we'll set up something, and uh-huh. then you know Busey's game to come in and just be Gary Busey, and so he'll come in, and then that's just genuinely what he did. Like I think they just improved a lot of what he'd come out with, uh-huh. and because um, there's some things there that just couldn't have been like I should have seen at the time. Like there's a whole episode that's a kind of like a, a Cyrano de Bergerac situation where like Busey's going to help this guy get laid and yeah. he's got the little earpiece and he's just giving him you know weird Buseyisms down his ear and uh there's just no way that the guy like he's completely bombing and then like at the end the girl's about to storm out and the guy's like oh please please don't leave and like down the street Busey disappears with an like, acoustic guitar <laughs> just starts serenading her and stuff at the time when I was like a teenager I was like this guy's nuts and now it's like of course that didn't so actually happened. <laughs> is Busey the original I'm not there? Like, is he really oh. just a very meta, very esoteric art piece? Like, he's not actually crazy. He's not actually um, brain damaged. He's just an incredible artist. Mm. Could this but be? The, the, yeah, that the end, like, he'll, on his deathbed, all of a sudden he'll swoop his hair back in this perfect slick back haircut, and his teeth will magically grow smaller. He's like, <laughs> It was all an act. I was I'm actually a perfectly <laughs> sane person. <laughs> so I had you all. And then there's like this lifelong documentary he's been making for like 70 odd years or whatever will, uh, will finally appear. And yeah, it that... will be hailed as the ultimate mm. artistic sacrifice. <laughs> It'd be better than uh, I'm Not There because that, that was just like, that just landed like a lead balloon, didn't it? Yeah. Where yeah. It was just like, hey, it was all fake. Oh. What? Yeah. So, so yeah. it's like, the issue was still a my, my, my issue with that was that Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, I didn't see the movie, but I saw like some interviews of him as his, you know, his rapper beardy character, and he he was beardy. just he wasn't very funny. He was just kind of off putting, and I didn't really want to watch. And it's like, go away. Whereas mm. Busey, I'll watch him do anything. Yeah, yeah. Other than him, like a uh, like, because I think Crispin Glover did the same kind of stuff, but he was just doing it, you know, because he had that. I think he was banned from Letterman for a bit because he almost kicked. They've let him in the head at one oh, point. Oh my god! During during an interview, and he was just doing really, and he claimed he was doing this as some kind of character he was creating, and you know, Crispin Glover is just a very very strange man. Yeah, and uh, like I wouldn't have, if he, if he came out with a if that turned out to be like a I'm not there situation, that would be like oh that was genius. No. But I think it's almost as if that's what Joaquin Phoenix was going for, and he's just like oh you're just not as creative. Or as exciting, or as dynamic, or as, as either Glover or Gary Busey, for that matter. Yeah. I do like Joaquin Phoenix as an actor. I just think his his stunt there didn't quite land. Is and just like yeah. his personality, he's just a wet fish. Yeah. Mm, mm. Although I think to to do that sort of thing, you know, sort of uh, what's that, what was that guy's name? From, Andy Kaufman. From Andy Kaufman, exactly. Thank you for knowing instantly who I was thinking of. I was thinking of too. Yeah. Uh, to do that sort of thing, you do have to be a little bit a little bit off. Even if yeah. you're doing it intentionally, it's yeah. just a, mm. a very odd thing to do. <laughs> it's or very, uh, it's, it's, it's a, a very good excuse what, what? for any time you do something stupid or silly. It's just be like, oh, it's just a character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should use but, that uh, excuse. Yeah, that's what the, that should have been Kevin Spacey's excuse <laughs> in the past. Oh, oh my god! Hey, yeah, oh, bringing down the tone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. Shit just got real. It's okay. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> Although the thing there's actually uh, a, a, a thing is coming out next month on Netflix, isn't it? There's a documentary of Jim Carrey 
behind the scenes on Man on the Moon because he became, he went completely method. Uh, I heard yeah. about he that. Became Andy Kaufman. So, I um, heard about that. I think they, they like, this is footage that's not, never been seen before. It's like, yeah, it's all been kind of kept under wraps about how crazy things actually got. And now it's finally been released. Like, here's a movie all about what a psycho Jim Carrey was on set. <laughs> oh, yeah, I and I, I heard that now. My parents were actually, I was just spending time with them, and they were actually talking to me about it. That apparently he's now just so very Buddhist and he's like just basically an artist, like a literal artist, like painting artist now and has like some very interesting, like very, I don't know, Buddhist things to say um, about about life and whatnot, which would be fascinating to see kind of who he is now as well as who he was then on the set of something like. Um, Man on the Moon. Man in the Moon? Mm. Man, no, I don't remember. So, yeah. no, he did, he did a, a really good um, uh, red carpet appearance. Or so something like a fashion award or something yeah. like I that. I didn't see that. So, what happened like, there? He's like, you're not really there. I'm not really here. Mm. Uh, he, he was really decrying the whole sort of situation. He was all like, this is all, this is all bullshit, you know? Like, all of this. This is, you know, he was kind of like really pointing out that like, this whole event, pointless. It's none, of, none of this matters and all this kind of like, it's getting very, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, he's gone crazy. It's kind of like, I think he just sort of really, it looked as if he just kind of got fed up. It was just like, yeah, yeah this is, I'm just going to tell you exactly what I think about this, about what's happening here. I was like, oh, fair play to him. I guess it's, uh, it's refreshing yeah. to see. I do, I mean, that is, it's a good message. I do remember, though, for that, I saw the video and he was dressed very nicely. Yeah. So he took, <laughs> he took the time to, to get dressed for the fashion show. But maybe that was part of his point, too, like saying, I'm part of it, too. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to talking about Jim Carrey for uh, Batman Forever. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got the that's because we, well, we've got to we got to get dive deep with a lot of people. Then oh, we've got uh, Devito next year, Devito and Michelle oh, Pfeiffer, God. and Michelle yeah, Pfeiffer, yeah, and uh, Christopher Walken. Oh, oh God, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to. There's, there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> it's still like my, I've, I've actually said to people the entire. Um, the entire point of doing the whole show was to just get up to the minute where, um, you know, it's kind of stress enough that this was in a, ch- a Batman film that children saw. Yeah. That, uh, that Chris Walken promises the penguin uh, unlimited poontang. Like, that's a line that's in the movie. And, like, I didn't get that until, like, a couple of years ago where I was just like, what? What did he say? Because as a kid, it just went over my head. But now it's like, this was in a Batman movie? So I'm dying to get into this thing. <laughs> yeah, we still got to finish off the first one, though. Although the first one is great. I'm loving every second of doing that as well. So yeah. it's all With been the, a... The later ones, you get more into the weirdness. Yeah, more. very much so. Well, you have Nicholson for this one, so that's, that's mm. a whole other... That's a whole novel there. Yeah. Oh, no, we've had a good time talking about the, talking about Jack. And actually, Jack Palance. We covered oh, yeah. some stuff about Jack Palance. It was just like... He was a he was an intense guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, if you want to hear those stories and more, you can join me and my co-host John on Bat Minute 89. Bat Minute 89, indeed. All right, I think we're going to wrap this minute up. Anything else you wanted to say, uh, Niall? No, no, that's me. All right. Yeah, we got uh, we got more water and surfing coming up in the yeah. next minute. You want to join us for that one, Niall? Well, we have some recommendations uh, we need to give first. We, oh, yeah, we do. I guess we should do that first. Yeah. <laughs> so, Niall, do you have any recommendations for this week? Uh, yeah, actually I do. Um, 
uh, I was thinking, it occurred to me when I heard, uh, I think it was you, Jessa, who mm-hmm. mentioned um, Lake Mungo a yeah. few episodes mm. back. And uh, I know Lake Mungo from uh, reading about it in the the afterword, or like the kind of the notes at the end of a book uh, called uh, Disappearance at Devil's Rock by mm-hmm. a fellow called uh, Paul Tremblay, which is, he was saying is very influenced by Lake Mungo. And if you see, like I watched the film afterwards. And after reading the book, you can see, like, oh, yeah, it's all over this thing. But uh, so Disappearance of Devil's Rock itself is uh, quite good. But Paul Tremblay has another book I would highly recommend uh, called Head Full of Ghosts. Head Full is, of Ghosts? Yeah, Head Full of Ghosts, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's kind of, uh, uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. You, you really get wrapped up, though. It's one of these books that keeps you kind of second-guessing up until the very end, where essentially the pitch is that uh, at one point in the mid-90s, a young girl had become possessed. And it's, uh, it starts off from the viewpoint of you know, the, the, the young sister, watching her sister become possessed and acting weird around the house. And it'll cut in the next chapter then to uh, like a Fangoria-esque blog with someone reviewing a TV show that was about what happens in the what happens in the book and you find out that the family because they were going through such financial troubles actually hired a reality tv crew to come in and film her possession and exorcism and uh, it, it's it, it keeps alluding to like all the, the the big thing that happened at the end and you're kind of like well, what what happened and i'll cut back and forth from this blog reviewing the show to things that you know as they happened and then, uh, but you'll have little things like it gets, in, you know, very interesting and little bits like um, you'll read a chapter about like, you know, one of the attacks the girl has. Uh-huh. And then uh, you'll be like, oh, that's that's creepy. But it's a bit just like The Exorcist. And then in the next chapter in the Fangoria-esque blog post, the writer will go like, well, we recall when this happened on the show, which is clearly ripped off from The Exorcist. So then it starts, you start getting into the question is, was this little girl faking it the whole time? And then as it goes on and on, you start going, is it supernatural? Is she faking it? Is she just crazy? And then they're just taking advantage of it. And it keeps going and going and going like that up until like literally like the last two pages. You're still like, they're still throwing little twists at you. And it was, uh, it was one of the fastest books I've ever read. It was like literally one of those couldn't put it down kind of situations. Ooh. So, uh, and I've been recommending it to everyone like, ever since. Like every, you know, Christmas and birthday, someone will inevitably get a, he- a copy of Head Full of Ghosts from me, but, like, you have to read this thing. It was great. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, so highly, Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. Highly Definitely have to check it out. Yeah, Jess is very much into the horror, supernatural, oh, mystery yeah. kind of stuff, so that'll, mm. that'll be great. Oh, yeah. Oh, bio, I think you'd probably get it for, like, relatively cheap now. It's been out a couple of years, so you probably get, like, a like a nice little second-hand copy off eBay for virtually nothing, I'd imagine. Although, I should say, in case <laughs> the people involved that ever hear this, please do pay full price for uh, <laughs> a brand oh, new course. copy of this. <laughs> awesome. That's a great recommendation. I'll definitely have to check that out. All right. Do you have something, Jessa? Yeah. So I'm going to recommend um, another documentary. Um, probably one of my favorites right now. It's uh, the Werner Herzog uh, documentary Into the Abyss. Um, and it is about, it's mainly a, a documentary about capital punishment. Um, Werner Herzog made it because ever since he was young, actually, when he was 17, he wanted to create a film about 
um, prisoners facing life imprisonment or death row. And um, it was never a fully realized documentary that he was able to make. But instead um, was able to create this movie called Into the Abyss, which is about a specific um, crime uh, committed by two teenagers. And the first kind of third of the movie is discussing the um, the actual events of the crime itself. Um, the, the second third of the movie is a bunch of interviews and discussions with uh, family members of the victims, friends of the victims, family members of the uh, murderers and friends of the murderers and kind of like basically explaining the sides of the people who are affected by this horrific crime. And then um, the murderers are on death row. And the last third of the movie is a very in-depth discussion of capital punishment, the prison system in America, the, um, has a lot of interviews of a guy who was an executioner, um, for lack of a better term. And he is now a advocate for anti-capital punishment because of, how haunted he is by the things he had to do for a job. And they go into a very in-depth description of the process of um, the death penalty and what happens to you um, if you are on death row. And some interviews of the murderers all the way up to their, you know, final moments and it, it's it's very very powerful movie it's a movie i'll never watch more than once but if you're somebody who's interested in that type of thing as well as um interested in you know prison social justice um crime like any of that sort of stuff it, it's just a very good film that really makes you think about um who all is affected by our prison system and capital punishment in our our society so definitely recommend into the abyss by Werner herzog excellent into the abyss uh since you went uh the book direction nile i think i'm gonna recommend a book as well uh i uh, just recently read uh the buried giant by kazo ishiguro who is my favorite author and i uh, finally got around to that as his most recent book he also recently won uh the nobel prize for literature so Ooh. good on him um, the Buried Giant is a really interesting, it's, uh, a fantasy novel, I guess. Um, it's not written like most other, not in the sort of Lord of the Rings style, where there's a map at the beginning and, uh, everything is sort of explained and the world is very, you know, laid out for you to sort of like, oh, this, this, this world building kind of thing. And in The Buried Giant, uh, the characters that you're with the whole time have memory loss. Uh, so they don't fully understand the world they're in and neither do you. Um, it is revealed later on. It takes place uh, shortly after the time of King Arthur. Um, whatever, you know, it's kind of an alternate. It doesn't totally, uh, it's not totally faithful to the, the mythology, but uh, it's taking place in the time of knights and there's a dragon and all this stuff, but it's it's told in such a different way from any other fantasy novel I've read. It's, it's, uh, um, very interesting. It kind of reminded me that the aesthetic kind of reminded me of Excalibur, directed by John Borman, sort of a oh, yeah. a dark, kind of gritty, gross take on the tale. Uh, and this isn't the tale of King Arthur, but it, it takes place in the same world. And it's a very odd, interesting book, and uh, 
check out the other books by Kazuo Ishiguroa. Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go are also very, very good. All right. Three good recommendations. A good point break minute. Um, anything else you wanted to add, Niall? No, no, just Vaya uh, con Dios. Vaya con Dios. <laughs> that's, uh, that's coming up later, uh, but... <laughs> Much much later, much much later. We we're not we're not strict about talking about outside outside the minute. You know, you gotta kind of just let it happen. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks for tuning into Point Break Minute. Uh, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Check out our the Point Break Minute listeners surf shop, listener surf shop, whatever that six word title is, <laughs> on Facebook. And uh, we've been having some good discussions on there. It's uh, it's kind of taken off. Uh, it's, so. Uh, Join up on that. Check out uh, Batman Minute or Batman eighty nine. Bat, Bat Minute eighty nine. <laughs> I will get it right. Mm. We've actually had like full on, like we've been tagged on things on Twitter wrong and stuff like that. It's like we probably should have just called it Batman Minute. <laughs> like it could have made it so much easier for people. But uh, no, we've we've got to die on this hill now. Like no, it's Batman eighty nine all the way. So. Yes. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, Niall. Come back uh, a few days for the next episode. Oh, more than happy to. Excellent. Good to have you. All right. uh, See you next time for Point Break Minute, Rob.